God, our great companion, lead us ever more deeply into the mystery of your life and ours, and make us faithful interpreters of you to one another. Amen. <clears throat> the fall season is upon us, and so are apples. Honeycrisp, Macintosh, Gala, delicious, wine saps, dozens and dozens of varieties, all fresh and now in season. If you drive out in the country, you'll see farm stands with overflowing baskets of apples and jugs of cider. Sometimes you can even help yourselves. Sometimes the farmer trusts you to take apples and leave no money. No accountability, except your own conscience. But who of us wouldn't pay? Who of us would take apples and not pay? Wouldn't you hate yourself if you did this? Wouldn't it nag at you and make you ashamed? Most of us, most of the time, want things to be fair. And we want to be accountable for our actions. And we want to hold others to account. And so we don't steal apples. Maybe that's why this morning's gospel distresses us. There's this great dinner party and all the right people are invited. Those known to the rich host, the influencers of that day. The host expects them to come and adorn his table with their power and influence. Everyone will make each other feel important and all will feel that they deserve to be there. Like a big charitable, a big charitable gala today. The big givers all sipping champagne and feeling virtuous because of their incredible generosity. They've earned the dinner and the grateful organization wants to reward them. This is a glamorous transaction, but it does seem fair. People donate money to a good cause and get rewarded by invitations to a fancy event. But that's not this gospel story. Here we have this king's wedding banquet that goes quite awry. Unlike a fancy Washington soiree, the invited ones, whom we may assume were the rich and famous, wouldn't come to the feast, didn't even take the time. Even if they'd earned the king's favor, they weren't interested. Begged to come, they raced off to other priorities, abused the king's messengers, and incurred the king's rage. There's no transaction, and the invited guest's rejection of the feast doesn't seem fair. So then the king switches gears and casts fairness, at least of the transactional sort, aside. He sends his servants out into the streets to invite just anyone they find. Good and bad, we are told, indicating that there was no need for anyone to deserve a place at the table. Anyone who would actually come was welcome. Free food for all, apples for everyone, whether they paid or not. But then, just when we think the king has offered huge, unmerited grace to a whole motley crew of townspeople, we have this one guy who shows up in the banquet hall without a wedding robe and he's instantly thrown out for not being dressed right. What? Jesus says many are called, but few are chosen. What's going on? If this story is a parable about the kingdom of heaven, then what is the message? Do we earn our way in or not? Is God's grace free or conditional? Do we get to just help ourselves to the apples, or should we pay? These questions are echoed in the lovely passage from the prophet Isaiah. Isn't this also about God's lavish grace? 
God who has done wonderful things and is a refuge for the poor and the needy, a defender from the wicked. This is a God of the holy mountain, a host again of a banquet, a feast of rich food and marrow, and wines drain, pure wines drain clear, a celebration where all the tears are wiped away. Grace, yes, for the faithful to be sure, but even here there is punishment for the ruthless and the aliens. The banquet is offered to the faithful, not everyone. So all this abundance and feasting, but who does get invited and who comes? And what is the appropriate response? Is there any clear message here? Are we talking about sheer unmerited grace, winning over, out, winning out over earned rewards, or vice versa, rewards winning out over grace? Let's think about this in terms first of this altar here, and then this community, this parish village. Is our relationship with the church transactional or grace-filled? Is it both? Who gets to join us at Christ's table, this altar? We say, whoever you are and wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith, you are welcome at Christ's table. And we mean that. It's free. All are welcome. But elsewhere, we say that membership in the Episcopal Church includes giving of your time and your talent and your treasure. You're welcome here, whether you're a member or not. But, and a couple of weeks ago, Ledley quickly added, we can fix that. Clearly, our church is a place where we seek spiritual growth and comfort and community, and we strive for this to be offered to all, both within these walls and beyond. We want this place to be a channel of grace, to be a place of God's love where we can live that out and equip ourselves for doing it in the rest of our lives. But as you well know, in order for the church to be able to do this, we need money, lots of money. And we give it, we provide it. But is this transactional? Do we give money in order to get stuff? Or is it gratitude in return for grace? In my experience, it sometimes feels to me, sometimes like grace, other times like a transaction. Most of the time, I give as generously as I can, and usually I actually manage a 10% tithe. Most of the time, I feel richly fed by my church community, closer to God and deeply blessed. But there have also been times, dry, flat times, when there just didn't seem to be much going on between me and God or me and Christianity. And yet, still, I gave in those times, but in those times, it, was, it felt pretty transactional. In addition to money and all the questions about our motivation for giving, we know that this community needs our time and our talent, and you'll never live through a stewardship season without hearing time, talent, and treasure all managed together. We need all of them. And just like with our money, we give them not just in gratitude for all that we receive here, but because time and talent are also needed to run the Sunday school, to lead a whole array of ministry groups, to pass wine and read scripture and sing music and lead the procession and serve as ushers and on and on so that the vergers don't have to provide all of the upfront presents. Hello? Uh, anyway, each Sunday it takes dozens and dozens of us to pull off a church service and each week it takes hundreds and hundreds of people to be this church, to be this community. And thankfully, 
papers stick together. Thankfully, there are lots of us, but we need to contribute. We know the phrase, it takes a village, right? Well, it takes a village to be a church. We talk about God's kingdom, but perhaps a village better captures what we are about here as we try to live God's love here on this corner and everywhere else we go. But back to one part of the gospel that I've left hanging, that bit about the guy who didn't wear the wedding robe to the banquet and was forcibly thrown out. Was the king actually spiteful then and cruel rather than generous? Fortunately, our dear Camille Codell, who was preaching on the same passage at another church this morning, gave me some help because she'd done some research on this. Apparently, in Jesus' day, part of the ritual around wedding feasts was for each guest to be given, given a special wedding robe to wear as a sign of participation in the event. It had nothing to do with fashion standards, nothing to do with coat and tie versus jeans, it, but to show up without the robe would indicate a choice to not fully participate, to come and expect to enjoy the abundant feast without doing one's part even though the robe itself was a gift from the host. God's grace is lavish and abundant. It is offered to all of us, and along with it, the tools we need to receive and spread it. What are you wearing to the banquet? Amen.